electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Claire Odomodi. Today on our podcast, rebuilding the economy and managing a broken supply chain, real estate mogul and investor Barry Sternlicht. The whole service economy is in a crisis, whether it's a restaurant, a pizzeria. This labor force contraction, the fact that so many people are not looking for a job, is really hurting the underbelly of the U.S. economy. Plus... One great investor reacts to another. Sternlicht responds to an exclusive conversation with BlackRock's Larry Fink. I do believe there is a huge role for a digitized currency. As Larry also mentioned, I've, I've become very interested in the blockchain technology as a whole and the digital ledger, which is going to change everything. Those stories and others that got us squawking this morning, from the American crypto mines to the stars. Nine years old, Mr. Shatner will become the oldest person to ever go to space. It's Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. First up today on the podcast, supply chain bottlenecks. Port congestion, especially on the West Coast, could threaten the holiday shopping season, delaying gifts from getting to store shelves and delaying your online orders. The White House announced early today that the Port of Los Angeles will move to a 24-hour service seven days a week to ease these bottlenecks. The Biden administration also saying it has received CEO-level commitments from Walmart, FedEx and UPS to move towards this 24-7 service with Target, Samsung and Home Depot expected to follow. The Longshoremen's Union also supports the move to round-the-clock operations and says it will be able to staff the new shifts. We talked about this headline today on our TV broadcast with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. Today, President Biden's going to be meeting virtually with key stakeholders to discuss this deal, including the director of the ports of L.A. and Long Beach and the president of the Teamsters Union, also NRF President Matt Shea and executives from Walmart and Target. Uh, So uh, hopefully we keep talking about the the challenges of uh, the supply chain. And maybe, uh, as Jamie Dimon says, eventually we'll get through it. He says we'll get through it from a market-based system. I don't know if it's a market-based system or if uh, the White House has to get involved. They are, clearly, but we'll I see mean, where it goes. I mean, this is something that's honestly they've been working on for years, and they've never been able to get it together because you need not only the workers there in the port through the whole time, you need people uh, in the trucking industry who can be there, people from um, the railroads, just to make sure you're right. moving this stuff off the ports. And this, the port at Los Angeles was tr- testing this, was testing it on a Monday to Thursday, 24-7, that they started just, a, I think, in the last month or so to see if we could make this happen. But we are behind where Asia and Europe are. They've been doing 24-7 for a long time when it comes to the ports. We have not. And if you talk to people who have worked on some of the negotiations and tried to find a way to make it happen, you need all the parties to be okay with it, and you also need the neighborhoods to be okay with it. It's, it's created right. a problem at times because the ports are built in pretty busy areas, and the neighbors there don't want 24-7 either. Right. The uh, Christmas is coming one way or another. It's just... Uh, Maybe giving, you know, you really can't give a lump of coal anymore, can you? 
Um, I used to get a switch in, switch in a lump of coal. Get you a little natural gas to put in the, in the stocking. Can supply some of that. Boeing is among the latest employers to mandate COVID vaccines for its employees. It's going to be requiring its 125,000 U.S. workers to receive the shots by December 8th. That's the deadline that was set by a presidential order governing federal contractors. In the meantime, American Airlines and Southwest Airlines said that they would comply with the federal mandate in defiance of an order from the Texas governor that barred private employers from mandating vaccines. Both airlines are based in Texas. American said it believes that the federal mandate supersedes any conflicting state laws. Also yesterday, the Greater Houston Partnership spoke out against Governor Abbott's order, saying that it does not support Texas businesses' ability and duty to create a safe workplace. Members of that organization include ExxonMobil, Chevron, and J.P. Morgan Chase. And guys, this is going to be interesting. You're, you're receiving conflicting mandates, one coming from the federal level, one coming from the state level. So as an employer, how do you handle it? Well, I think what's so fascinating about this is now you have businesses taking to their own hands. And how voters in a, in a state like Texas are actually going to think about this, because on one side, there's the sort of Governor Abbott freedom argument. And on the other, there is... Uh, a very free market argument about capitalism and businesses being able to do uh, what they feel is the right thing to do. And, and the truth is that most of those businesses, I think, were very happy when President Biden and the federal Able government cover. put that, put that uh, mandate in place because it gave them cover to right. do, frankly, what as a business they wanted to do the entire time. I'm trying to figure out the journal's take. Um, Basically saying that by, by forcing the issue, you backed some people into a corner where they're doing things or they might not have, have done some of these things if they weren't backed into a corner. Now they're trying to, to get it. Uh, I mean, it, it's going to take a while to, to be, all be settled in the courts and it gets enjoined in the meantime. So you, you really. Well, that's that's, kind, of been, comes, that's kind of been Gottlieb's point when he's Dr. Gottlieb's point when he's talked to us, too. I'm concerned about the political implications of vaccines and vaccination becoming another thing that divides us politically and culturally. I think we're going to see this uh, fight over vaccines bleed into other realms, uh, vaccinations for children, vaccinations for flu. And we're going to see vaccination rates decline across the country now that this is something that people think defines their political virtue. There are a lot of legitimate questions people have about vaccines and wanting to see what happens by forcing the issue. Gottlieb right. is worried that it's going to create a, an even this more political decision that comes down. You see down. this? I mean, this yeah. is like you need to try to figure out what's going to happen to right. Kyrie Irving. A workplace showdown uh, in the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets announcing that star, and he is a star, one of the, the three. These those three guys are amazing. Uh, and they're all a lot more than just the three, but the three big stars. Kyrie Irving won't play or practice this season unless he gets vaccinated. He's currently ineligible to play in home games for the Nets under a New York City order that requires proof of vaccination to enter an indoor sports arena. Nets GM Sean Marks said that they respect his right to make a personal choice, but would not permit any member of the team to participate even with part-time availability. If he decides to sit out, he can still collect $16 million of his $34 million contract uh, so he can you know, living expenses, to some extent. Uh, but but uh, it's not bad, 16 out of 34. But $18 million not able to collect. That's because uh, the Nets owner and GM decided Irving would be paid for road games, that he would have been eligible to play, but since he can't, so he can get that, but won't be paid for any so to of me, the home the games. The interesting thing was if you, were, if you were the owner of the Nets, 
what have you paid for the, the other games? And was there a view, I think the view was, that somehow the contract would have either been voided or the contract would have been broken, and therefore... He could have gone elsewhere. He could have right? maybe gone to right. another team. Then the other question is whether another team would have taken him. If a team didn't take him, would have there been antitrust complaints or some other kind of, of complaint about how that would have worked? What do you how think? many people are not going to go to work? Oh, not very basketball. Few. Not basketball. I don't know if it's very I, few. I, well, I don't know. I, look, it probably you know, depends on your circumstances. Say, okay, if you're ready, but if most you're people ready are not getting to... sixteen million dollars. No, I know, but I, I know, but I think a lot of people are going to say I quit then. Uh, at a lot of places. I guess it's a strong job, job market. Maybe you could go somewhere else and find something. Maybe. First of all, hopefully we're only talking about, I mean, my hope is this is 5 or 10% of the population. The question is whether Oops. you think that this is 30% I'd be surprised if it was more than we're at 10. 75, right? No, no, no. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If you think that there's, you know, I, I would be surprised 20% if it were more than 10% of the population that's going to quit their job, that, that seems high. Yeah, 5 or 10. But by the way, in this environment, 5 or 10, we talk about supply chain issues it's an issue, and, and right. shortage of labor and everything else. 5 or 10 unto itself is a conundrum. when it's happening in places like the healthcare system, where there is just zero Well, there, and I think to some extent you could argue the same, same thing in the airline business. Um, I, I know the Southwest has, has been yeah. vociferous in its uh, argument that the pilots are doing their own thing. The more uh, I hear, the more I hear, the more I think it is Southwest. Just right. screwed up. A little tired up. of the boomer, disparaging boomer comments. 95%, okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, people over 65. 95%. Everybody else, 70, everybody else 78%. You should, okay, boomer? You should continue to encourage. Okay, millennial. What are you? Courage, encourage your other what boomers. You? Encourage the other boomers. Joe. You're an X, so why? What are you? I think Becky and I are X's. Triple yeah. X's, baby. I don't understand. It's a family show. The U.S. is now the number one destination for, you ready for this? Bitcoin miners. That's surpassing China, Joe, for the first time. It's according to data released earlier this morning from Cambridge University. As of July, 35.4% of Bitcoin's hash rate or mining computing power was in the United States. That's up. 428% from September 2020, and that's thanks to the crypto crackdown in China, which took that country's Bitcoin hash rate from 67% in September 2020 to zero. Now, Pakistan ranks second to the United States with 18% 18 (laughs) of all crypto mining. I've never heard of that country. Because of cheap (laughs) and abundant coal power. Interestingly enough, Joe, one of the things that's so fascinating about this, uh, this story is... I don't know if you remember, we've talked a lot about the environment and the mining costs. Use volcanoes, dude. All the, like relating, El Salvador. Relating to Bitcoin. Yeah. Part of the argument had been very much around China and about how a lot of this was being powered by dirty coal. The more and more this moves to the United States, in many of the markets uh, where you're starting to see the mining develop, the more you're starting to see uh, this being done, yeah. hopefully in an environmentally friendly way. And this is what I think Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey and others have been talking about. And it really is a zero-sum game, because what, what's, you can only mine a certain amount. Well, if it's Jamie Dimon is not sure about that part, if you remember. Right. So I'm just, just saying, I'm giving you the different, different perspectives. I, yeah. I love the story, though. The way we keep reporting it is, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning because China stopped running, right? <laughs> like, that is true, too. Still to come on Squawk Pod, where are all the workers? Supply chain issues and striking a proper hybrid balance with real estate investor Barry Sternlich. Companies are trying to stay super flexible since they don't exactly know what's happening in their future and how their workforce is going to respond to coming back to work. But I, I do giggle when I see football stadiums completely full. Hmm. 
We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Today on our TV broadcast, we heard from two big market names. The first, BlackRock's Larry Fink. The second, the one you're about to hear from, Starwood Capital's Barry Sternlicht. He's a renowned investor and real estate mogul. Now, Barry tuned into our show for Larry's interview. So, lucky you, we're giving you the highlights of that Larry Fink interview, plus Barry Sternlicht's reactions to it. Here's Joe kicking things off. Barry, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Uh, you got, you know, you got your... Uh, your pulses all, no, your fingers, you got a lot of fingers all over a lot of different pulses. In other <laughs> words, you got businesses all over the place. Uh, how's it going in terms of, of reopening, in terms of supply chain and cost pressures? Uh, and just, uh, I guess, in, in, in terms of overall rebounding from the, the pandemic. Where, where do you want to start? I mean, I, so no. let's go to the, our basic How's your business? business? How's real estate, I guess, yeah, uh, in Florida? <laughs> So real estate is is very strong. Probably one of the strangest occurrences out of the pandemic was the rapid increase in home prices across the country. I don't think anyone would have thought that if Americans were seriously worried about their jobs and their futures, they would have gone out and bought houses at ever higher prices. So I, I think that's one of the big surprises of the COVID period was really the housing market. And then, you know, some of the asset classes in real estate, like industrial, well, they stayed strong right through the crisis because companies were scrambling to produce you know, fix their e-commerce platforms, fix their distribution and get their products from the e-com from, from the websites to their homes. So industrial just went right through it. Um, apartments took a little pause and um, a lot of landlords, including us in the public, we have 105,000 apartments in our portfolio today. So we didn't want to raise rents while people were worried about their jobs or, or when panic was in the streets. So in 2020, the whole industry took a time out. But lately, the apartment market's been the strongest I've ever seen. What's shocking about apartment rent growth is it's nationwide and it's double digit from Jacksonville to Phoenix to Seattle. Um, rents are flying. And it, it tells you something about the consumer. I'll come back to the consumer in a second. And then you have the office markets, which we've all been sort of scratching our heads, like when would they fill? When would they recover? Most of us expected the office markets to get um, physically full again. Most of them are leased, by the way after Labor Day, but the COVID variant came and, and the whole um, curve flattened. And so, but now we're seeing uh, across the country, you know, even in Texas, you're only about 40% occupied. In New York City, probably like 25. That's physical occupancy in an office building. 
But we're up to like 35 now in Manhattan. And if you go to all, if you look around the world, which we have assets all over the globe, you know, it really depends where you are in China, in Korea, in the Middle East, they're in their offices. And then you get to, you know, some of the blue states, the darker states, New York, uh, San Francisco, those are really tough markets um, for physical occupancy and actually total occupancy because they're not absorbing the space um, that they were. One interesting phenomenon of this recovery in the office market is companies like WeWork and shared office is getting a disproportionate share of, uh, of, of, of new leases because I think companies are trying to stay super flexible since they don't exactly know what's happening in their future and how their workforce is going to respond to coming back to work. But I, I do giggle when I see stadiums, football stadiums, completely full, 105,000 fans at a college uh, football game or um, out of San Francisco, the 49ers 49ers game, you know, and they're packed and then nobody wants to go to the office. So I find that kind of interesting. Barry, did you see when when the that Merck drug, we heard about it and the market took off that day. I mean, that, we need that. That, that That's going to help. And I, I think that will help with, with what you were just talking about, with people returning. Yeah. But then I, I want you to comment on what the heck is happening in the labor force uh, right now. And it's, and, that was my next comment, because okay. when you get to hotels, you run into the labor force. And if I, people ask me what I might talk about this morning, and I said, I'm going to talk about Janet Yellen and how wrong she is about the economy. I mean, there's six million unemployed, but there's 11 and a half million jobs that are open and we can't find the whole service economy is in, in a crisis, whether it's a restaurant, a pizzeria, a laundromat, a small shop. Amazon can, wage, can raise wages, no problem. They're making a trillion dollars, the richest man on earth or second richest man on earth now, I guess. Um, you know, they can go to 15, 16, 17 dollars in a warehouse, but mom and dad can't do that. So this labor force contraction, the fact that so many people are not looking for a job and the labor participation rate has dropped is really hurting the underbelly of the U.S. economy. And it can't really fully recover until these people come back to work. I, w- I was at our Brooklyn hotel uh, last week. We employ 220 people. We're missing 40 of them. We can't find them. They won't come back to work. It's not even what we pay. They just won't leave their house or whatever it is they're doing. Maybe they're trading crypto. I mean, they're not leaving. So I think they have to change the way they form this incentive. They should actually pay people a a, a bonus for going back to work and getting back in the labor force off federal programs and state programs, frankly, and get back to work. And then they can tax them because they have a job. So, you know, it, it would pay the government to give people an incentive to go back to work because it's going to cripple this recovery. It is it is a crisis. You walk around New York City, which I happen to be sitting in right now, and a lot of restaurants haven't reopened. And I hear they can't get labor. I'm an investor in one restaurant. And they, they waited to open for five months until they could find a staff sufficient to actually run their restaurant. So, you know, big business isn't hurt by wage inflation. And, and frankly, it, it's just hurting small business, which is the Democrat constituency. And it's really, um, it's an interesting thing. They're, 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 they're overdoing it in the wrong direction. All these support programs coming in the $2 trillion or three and a half or one and a half trillion dollar package, they may exacerbate that problem and encourage people to stay home. And the country can't really work without its service people back. White collar jobs are here. And I, we have no problem with wage inflation. I mean, thank God, it's great. And they, if you look at the stats, the lower wage earners have, have gained the most percentage-wise. Obviously, it's nominally not that much money, but that's the way the economy is supposed to work. But we should do that with a full active labor force, not with this fictitious shrunken labor force that's a result of these government programs. Yeah, and, and hand in hand, the government can't 
do this without the cooperation of the Fed. And people more and more say that the Fed is enabling a lot of this by, you know, by keeping interest rates low and, and buying, you know, the in bed sort of partners in crime in terms of, uh, of of enabling all this. And then you have the labor force not growing. It keeps them in there. It keeps them in there that they've got cover to stay where they are because there's still jobs not being filled. So it's almost like a vicious circle. And what they're what they're doing is actually exacerbating it, like like you said. It's it's um you know they have the Fed has a problem because if they raise rates, you know the U.S. economy with the deficits, as far as the eye can see, the the interest expense is going to choke off other spending programs, and you wind up just increasing your deficits endlessly. We just obviously need a responsible government with paying attention to how they spend money and not believing money grows on trees. It kind of is a good segue to crypto, by the way, <laughs> and why crypto is interesting. And uh, but we'll get there in a second. The one, the one thing I wanted to also mention is how rich the consumer is. I mean, if you look at the stock market, you act about volatility. You really have two stock markets today. You have the one I grew up on. I went to business school. I learned about discounted cash flows and I, companies' ability to pay dividends and grow. And then you have a complete casino society, a complete total speculative bubble, whether it's the meme stocks or um, even some of the multiples on the tech companies that are impossible to imagine. And the number of companies losing money, you know, at, at the market cap is an all-time high. There's a lot of warning signs that we're in 2000, 2001, before the NASDAQ dropped 82%. Offsetting that is almost $3 trillion of excess savings that Americans are sitting on in companies being tons of cash, debt service levels, very accommodative, very cheap. Um, and the consumer is rich. It's so interesting. This is a recovery where price, there's completely price insensitive. We can post almost any rate we want on a hotel and the place is full. I mean, it's, it's kind of, and that's why you're seeing com- companies easily being able to pass on cost increases and supply pressures and craziness to their consumers. Here's an inflation question for you, which is you're seeing inflation, but then at the same time, I don't know if you, you heard Kathy Woods, also a big fan of, of Bitcoin and crypto, which we can talk about in a moment as well, who actually thinks that we are going to ultimately see deflation over the next five years as a function of technology. What do you make of that? I don't, I don't believe it. I mean, I, uh, Larry Fink mentioned deglobalization, which will have serious impacts on deflation and imported goods. I think our movement away from globalization, our movement away from consumerism to more domestic job and job creations is going to, you know, further the, the advancement of wages, but will probably create a more inflationary regime. And technology, I think, is an enabler, but the wages will, you know, the, this shrunken and shrinking workforce and commodity price pressures. You know, in our industry, real estate construction prices are up about 14 percent year over year. And that's that's before the energy complex took off. So piping, PVC piping is a derivative of petroleum. So asphalt for communities is a derivative of petroleum. Those haven't even hit yet. And if God forbid, and we want them to pass the transportation bill, the infrastructure bill, if they pass that, imagine the supply bottlenecks for steel and concrete and piping. And so I, I think you're, you know, maybe five years from now, maybe it'll slow down. But I I've said before on your show, I think inflation is not, this is high and higher inflation than, than normal, but it's going, to, it's going to stabilize at a higher rate than we've seen in the past. And it's good. I mean, inflation that's driven by wage inflation is happiness for America. It helps the middle class and helps those in need. But 
uh, inflation that's driven by by crazy policies is not good. <laughs> here's here's the the dichotomy, though, on the Kathy Woods view, which is that she's she believes that there's going to be deflation at the same time. She's a proponent of crypto. Where, where are you right now? For me, and I think uh, Novogratz has come on your show and talked about it, it's a diversification. And I think you know, what Jamie Diamond talked about, I mean, gold is kind of worthless too, and might so silver. I mean, they have some industrial uses, but they're minor. It's a store of value. And what, the reason I own Bitcoin is because the US government and, and every government in the Western hemisphere is printing money now to the end of time. And this is a finite amount of something. And it's a, it can be traded globally. And people have fiat currencies whether it's in Nigeria, and I'm not picking on Nigeria, I have no idea if they have a fiat currency, or you know Bolivia or wherever, you can move into something that probably has, that the world is accepted as a, as a substitute for gold. And since it's a 18 million float or something like that out of 21, you know, I, I think Bitcoin is, it's the biggest, it may not be the one, it's, it's a dumb coin, it has no real purpose uh, other than a store of value. And it's a little crazily volatile. So Ether, which is right below it, I own some of that. That's a programmable Bitcoin. And then there are tons of other coins that are built off of that system. And, and as, as Larry also mentioned, I've, I've become very interested in the blockchain technology as a whole and the digital ledger, which is going to change everything. I'm probably more on the Jamie Dimon camp, but I'm not a student of, of Bitcoin and where it's going to go. So I, I can't tell you whether it's going to be going to 80,000 or zero. But I do believe there is a huge role for a digitized currency. We're probably in inning one of, of, of the Internet. And I don't know when the Internet started, 1990. It'll be the same evolution. I see you as a as a, a realist with a conscience. That was the first time I heard someone say, you know, for Larry, you know, ESG, if you're going to do it, the, the, the part of the G might be genocide, might not be a great thing to be in there, not just governance. And, and I thought that was a really good sort of, uh, uh, to use ESG, you're, you're going to be, you know, dealing with all these other things, but perfectly willing to go to the biggest polluter in the world, put all your investments in China, deal with them and look the other way for genocide and everything else. What should American businesses be doing in, in terms of a country that might take over Taiwan in two years and is getting increasingly aggressive in, in a lot of different parts of the world. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah. You know, when I asked myself and my team, we just had our LP conferences for our funds and we just closed the $10 billion fund, which we have $100 billion in assets under management today. So we're, we're not investors directly in China. Um, I, I tend not to, it's not a China thing so much as con- countries where we feel like the deck is stacked or we can't underwrite the political risk of the investment. It's just why bother? For multinationals in the United States, the, the interest in the Chinese consumer is extraordinary. I mean, the, the, the growth of the middle class and their the ability to buy product, it is the fastest growing, most important consumer country in the world. And that's why you see all these companies sort of knowing, not knowing what to do because it's, it is their growth engine for many companies. So uh, I, I think, you know, I, I do think Taiwan is the 800 pound gorilla in the room. I, I think not only um, obviously would they take advantage of this administration and what they saw in Afghanistan, but also, you know, we're not going to go to physical war, but we go to trade war that will hurt us. Those $600 billion in trades import uh, from China that, that Larry mentioned, when you cut off $600 billion of couches and TVs and, and then Taiwan produces all the chips, as you know, I've heard it in your show before. So, I mean, it would be strategically a, a, a nightmare for the United States. I hope our Secretary of Commerce, who I heard on your show the other day, actually races to figure out how to produce 
semiconductors will be more important than oil for this country. So we need to build a national backup plan. Forget about oil reserves. We need a semiconductor reserve because your washing machine will stop working. So I think uh, it's a serious issue. I think that is the um, that is the canary in the coal mine. That That is really the risk to the equity markets because we will most likely start with a, a sanction, you know, san- global sanctions against China which could, you know, they think in 100-year seg- inter- intervals. We, we, we have investors that buy companies for weeks, not even months. So, you know, they, they will wait us out. I mean, they, they, this is their dynasties, and we don't, we don't organize ourselves like that. We're, we're, we'll throw CEOs out, CEOs out of in- uh, earnings on a quarter. So, you know, they have a huge competitive advantage. It happens to be right next to them. And, you know, I know Japan is, is obviously incredibly um, concerned, and we, we ought to be concerned. And I, I don't, I'm not, a, this is above my pay grade, but it is something that definitely worries me um, a lot about how to end what is a fueled rally based on liquidity globally. I mean, there's so much money chasing, you know, property values, going back to real estate, property values are, are soaring across in almost every asset class. Uh, cap rates are falling, yields are coming down, and uh, capital is chasing property because it's in a form of yield. And it is it's not just a U.S. phenomenon, it's around the world. People are, are looking for yield, safe yield. And if you think inflation's coming, and real estate's a great place to put your capital for a while because construction costs are new products, cost so much more to build than the existing stock. So it's a very attractive asset class at the moment. It's, I love my boring industry. <laughs> hey, Barry, have, having said that, if, if that's the place you should put your money when you look at all these concerns, what do you think about the equities market? Because you, you've spent time there kind of looking through things, through things too. Is that, that not going to be the place to invest? Well, as I said, there's two markets, right? And and uh, rising rates, maybe some of the capital come out of the, the tech is basically the market. And by the way, tech has never been more important to the real estate markets. Driving New York City, Berlin, all these cities are the expansion of Facebook, Google, Apple, Tesla. So they are they are the the net the net users of space in global cities around the world as they continue their rapid expansion around the world. You go to a city where Tesla, or I'm sorry, where where Google isn't yet, like Berlin, and you know they're going to build a um, some. There's kids there. It's a great city. Uh, there, it's fun pubs. So I, I think um, I think the I think the equity markets are 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 basically um, they should come down. Other than the fact that there's so much money and it's so the perception and also the ability to get in and out the Robin Hoods that make it uh, seamless to trade. You know, but there's a whole speculative economy out there. I mean, Dogecoin, you put that up on your or doggy coin. And that's a totally worthless coin. <laughs> that was started as a joke. And that is sort of that and Shibu are basically are. I have a friend who um, who who uh, trades um, crypto during the day and DJs at night and um, she's trading NFTs, you know, and, and I just feel like they're it's it's like a I don't know what the right word is a Ponzi scheme. I mean, the last guy music when the musical chairs stop. People say, why did I spend $300,000 on a digital monkey, um, which is completely useless other than other people all over the globe. It's a global phenomenon getting on. Maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they're all trading uh, crypto and, and, and these coins. You see, I, I found two coins the other day that I thought were amazing. One is called Up Only. What a great name for a token. The other one is called FOMO Baby, Fear of Missing Out Baby. Look them up. They're real coins. <laughs> I mean, they have like $200 million market cap. Somebody made $200 million on a name. Fear of missing out, baby, is exactly what the cycle's about. <laughs> It'll probably go up 7,000% this week. It went up 6,000% last week. <laughs> yeah. All right, Barry, thanks. We, we, we got, they're playing the music. I was just laughing about 
Hey, guys, think if it's above Barry's pay grade, what would that mean for how far it's above our? I don't think you get to use that expression, Barry, because I don't really think there is anything that is above. Uh, is there? Is there anything above Barry's pay grade? It, Barry, Barry, pay grade? the other Barry, Barry Diller used to say that's below my pay grade. That's below my, <laughs> yeah, I think that Barry you ought to use that. I think that that might at least be more realistic. I know it's just an expression. Anyway, Barry Sterling, great to have him on. Um, haven't had him in a while. So much more. We didn't talk vaccines or any, anything That's with true. him either. Mandates. We'll have him back soon. Yes, we will. Still to come, Squawk Idol. My big three, Shatner, Grassley, and Clint. We'll explain when we come back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Stand under by in three, two, one. Stardate 10.13.21. William Shatner, James T. Kirk, and three other crewmates scheduled to blast off from West Texas in Blue Origin's new Shepard rocket. They're going to fly to the edges of space at 90 years old. Mr. Shatner will become the oldest person to ever go to space. I think he's getting a free flight out of this one. Would you, would you take the flight, Joe? No. Still, still not? No, 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 no. No, I'd go to... Uh, oh, we, we should say we love, we love Shatter. Do we, have, we should get some you old tape. You know how much I love Shatter. I know yeah. how much you and love Shatter. He's been on the set yep. a lot. He's been I, with us. And you remember Jim Carrey did a great... Uh, we have traveled back yep. in time. I'm, if I could tear this... There, there we go. Oh, yeah. There I, we go. I did, his, I did Carrie's imitation for Shatner. Well, the Dr. Jim, I can't read this teleprompter. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked 60 back then. That was a few years ago. Uh, and neither one of us. 60. He looks great. Yeah, neither one of us have aged. Unfor- unfortunately, he still kind of looks younger than I do. But he, he is a, a um, some type of special. Listen to, did you hear Becky laughing? I thought that was current, Becky. No, that, that was current. me. That was then. <laughs> That, that was that was that was you. Better. She's not laughing now. Yeah, my big three: Shatner, Grassley, and Clint. Those are my big three. You'll have you'll have idols. Uh, so you have an idol already, I think, don't you? I have plenty. Um, who's your idol right now? If I had to pick one, I could come up with a funny one, but I'm not. I'm not going to do it. It's. Uh, Let, let's. I don't know. Let, let's leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, Dolly Parton. I don't know what you're going to say. Dolly you know, Parton's amazing, and and she stepped it up even through the pandemic. She's funny. She's classy. She's always relevant, and she stays current. She's amazing. See, she's got one. Now you got to come up with one. Come on. I'll come up with my other idol. Fauci. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> that's it for today's Squawk Pod. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross-Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Clara Dumodi, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. Now we are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 